Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're today in Lesson 84, and we have arrived last time at Chapter 3 of the Book of Acts in verse 11, and we shall continue from that point. As we read in verse 11, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And the story was that Peter and John were on the way to the house of prayer, to the temple. And that was after the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. And after this body of believers was established by the Holy Spirit. And there were children of Israel, people of Israel, member of the church, member of the greater uh, house of Israel, and the wife of God, and the people of God, that is, wife in the future, but God who calls things which are not as though they are, already referred to them as his wife. As I mentioned earlier, much earlier, when in the book of Jeremiah he told him that even though he sent them into captivity, he said, Return unto me, for I am married unto you. And he's giving that message also in terms of the future. So we have to look at it from that point of view. And he is going into the midst of the temple, in the midst of his people. And he didn't see any reason, and none of the apostles saw any reason why they should separate themselves. They didn't think that they are a separate entity, that they are a new group, another church, replacing Israel, that Israel is only a type of them. They didn't think that God was putting down Israel and picking up the church, as some people came up with that, because of ignorance. Much later on. No, they knew that this is the wife of God. These are the people of God to whom to them the deliverance and salvation came. And so their work was in their midst. And this is where Jesus Christ sent them to Jerusalem and to Samaria and to Judea and to wherever the children of Israel were scattered. Speaking by the entirety of the whole house of Israel. And so God is now going to open the door for the house of Israel, more of them at least, to be exposed to the work that he did on this earth and now through his disciples, so that some of them may be called and they become a part of this spiritual body, where Israel now is becoming spiritual. And this was the beginning of it. And anyway, this is where we find ourselves here. And so God, through him, inspiring Peter to heal this person, and now as he enters into the temple, everybody rushes toward them because they're all amazed to see that Peter and John are responsible for that. They were used to the fact that Jesus Christ was doing it, but not Peter and John, or the other disciples. And so in verse 12 we read, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, these are the members of the church, Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made these men walk? And generally speaking, leaders like to take the credit to themselves and make a big show out of it. And let the whole world know about it, that they are faith healers, that they are this and that. Take the credit to themselves. And here is a true man of God, led by the Holy Spirit, realizing that all things come from God and he can never take any credit to himself. And that's what he's telling them. Look on God, not on me. Bypass me. In verse 13 he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaking about Elohim, El Elyon, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And so he's letting them understand. It's not him. It's the son that was in their midst, their God, their maker, their ruler, their savior, their redeemer, who was responsible for, the, for it. And it was El Elyon, the God of Israel, that sent him to do all these things, and now he's sending them to do all these things through his son. So in verse 16 he continues, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, he's making something very plain that the counterfeit church never paid attention to in their great zeal to destroy the people of God, the church of God, the people of Israel, and taking all the credit to themselves, claiming that they are the true church. And accusing the people of God as being Christ's killers, which they were, but so were every, everybody else. They're all responsible for it. Yet they wanted to put the blame only on one to justify their existence and their illegitimate reality as, as they call themselves the true church. And so he's saying to them, yet now, uh, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance. And that's why Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, on the cross, knowing what his wife was going through and what state of mind she was and the role of Satan in that. He said to his father, the last words, for his wife, not against them, but for them, because he came to give his life for them, for his wife. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In other words, it's spiritual ignorance. They may physically know what they are doing, but spiritually they don't realize that he is their God, their maker, their ruler, their husband, their savior. And he came to give his life for them. And so he could go beyond the facade of reality of what you see all around you. And this is what faith is all about. And therefore he could ask for forgiveness while on the cross for them. Not destruction, not sending them to hell. And that's exactly what Peter is telling them. And that's exactly the way we should see it. Even though all of us are responsible for it, it's often time in ignorance that we do those things. And so that's what he says. I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. At least we must give them the credit for that. And it is more profitable for some, because of the darkness that is in their heart, with the spirit of malice and hatred, every year they revive that, especially around the Passover time. They've been doing it for 2,000 years to create a lot of hatred in the hearts of many and cause them to go and destroy the Jewish communities. And unfortunately, some still have it to this very day. Verse 18, he tells them, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And therefore he tells them, 
Verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Eternal, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So he's telling them, God never uh, has forsaken you, never rejected you. You are still his people. He wants you to repent and to return to him. And that's the reason why Christ gave his life for his wife, so that he may redeem her, so that through her, through that marriage, there are many children, all the nations of the earth. And that was the story that the apostles always told the people of Israel. They never told them, God forgot all about you, you're all going to hell. And now God started a new entity called the church, and we are it. And those who come after us, and you are gone. That's the end of the story for you. You failed. That's not what he's saying. They never preached that lie. And yet, to this very day, unfortunately, many in our own midst believe these lies that were preached by the counterfeit church. And so he continues by saying, verse 22, For Moses truly say to the fathers, The Eternal, your God, your Elohim, will raise up for you, for you. You see, it's not for somebody else, it's not for the world, it's for you. A prophet like me from your brethren. And this is what the prophet that came, the one that was the Eternal, the Savior of Israel. He came from the midst of his brethren. And he came to deliver his brethren, which are also his wife. See, with God things are different. And that's why when people talk about the analogy of the marriage, they have to understand. You can use it only to a point, and that's it. So you cannot confuse the physical analogies with the spiritual ones all the way. And so he says, he sent this prophet from your brethren, from among you, one of you. And him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And that's not a statement that is only for 2,000 years ago. This is speaking about the ultimate. Well, ultimately, you're going to listen to him. And that's why Paul can say with great faith, all Israel shall be saved. Because ultimately speaking, all of Israel who are alive, who are in the grave, will come before the throne of Jesus Christ and bow the knees before him and uh, confess that he is Lord, their Savior, their God, their Maker, their Ruler. And that's why through all the prophets, Jesus Christ is the God of Israel. As he spoke to his own people, he said, When I bring you back from captivity or from the grave, when I do all those mighty signs and wonders in your sight in the presence of all the nations, then you shall know that I am the Eternal. And yet some people, even in our own midst today, have forgotten that and have a problem understanding the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was the God of Israel, the Eternal of Israel, and he was sent by the El Elyon, who is, in essence, the God of gods. And so that's what he's telling them. This is what Moses told you. Verse 23, and he says, And it shall be that every soul will... Who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And that's exactly what Christ was telling his own people when he spoke to them. He said, look, if you're not going to listen to the message, and he's not speaking only now while I'm alive, 
ultimately speaking, they're going to be cast out of the kingdom. And people who have no understanding, who are unlearned, who do not know the context in which he's speaking, speaking, they thought that he was sending all of them to hell because they didn't follow him. He was not talking about that. He was talking about ultimately, if you are not going to listen to this message, you are not going to have any hope. So obviously you're going to be cast away. And that's exactly what he told the Pharisees. If you do not listen to my words, there would be those who would come from the east and the west, but you will be thrown out of the kingdom. And you've got to put the whole story together. Then you understand every statement that was made in its entirety, in its completion, not just partly. That's what confuses a lot of people. And so verse 24, he continues, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in verse 26, he makes it very plain. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, not to curse you, but to bless you. In turning away everyone, not just some of you, every one of you from your iniquities, and that was the plan of God, to deliver Israel, those who are alive at the time, those who are going to be resurrected. Those who are in the grave. God wants all of them. They're all members of the wife. The wife, the bride that God is preparing for his son. So that they can bear children, all the nations of the earth. God never gave up on this plane. The prophets always spoke about it very plainly. The disciples always told it and the apostles always told it very plainly. There has never been any other message. There has never been any other preaching or teaching about another church, another group, another people. God made it very plain for Moses. Yes, he's going to call some other people to cause his children, his people, his wife to get jealous so she would come back to her husband. He didn't say he's going to replace them with another nation or another people just to make them jealous. Make them a little angry. And you can see that oftentimes with Apostle Paul or others you know, went to the synagogues and the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews came around also because he used to go and come and listen. Well, the Jews got pretty angry or jealous about it and in the process forgot that they believed the truth that Paul taught them because that was from the prophets and they allowed their envy to totally blind them to the point where they totally rejected everything. And that's what Moses told them. But all that was for the purpose so when the time comes, when God opens their eyes, well, they are no longer ignorant. Then they will con be converted. God is going to heal them, remove the veil so they can see and not be blind anymore. And so God made it very plain. He never, never, ever rejected them, never forsaken them, never taught anything like that. His disciples never taught anything like that. The prophets never taught anything like that. And for us to believe lies still to this very day, it just doesn't make sense. Now, the reason why we do believe lies is because we haven't read the whole book as we should from the beginning until the end to understand the story. We just read some pieces here and there, bits and pieces, and we take taken for granted that what the Catholic Church taught us, even though we, don't, we may not see it that way, what we've been taught all of our lives is true. 
that God casts away his people in one sense, even though we don't think that way, and we don't say it that way, and we give it lip service. And we say, well, you know, they failed. That's a lie of the, the counterfeit church. They failed. Nobody didn't fail. Nobody fails. God hasn't finished the job yet. We cannot call a failure, which God hasn't called a failure. And so God never rejected his people. And that's exactly what Peter is telling them about. And that's the reason why God is performing these signs and wonders and miracles. To bring his people back to him. And then chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed, that they told the people and preached in, Je- uh, preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And so you can see the wife of God, the people of God are responding. But the leaders, that's where the problem is, the leaders want power to themselves. It's not that they necessarily contradict the theology of what was being taught. They knew the prophets, they knew the law. But you see what envy does? That's the problem, envy. Power, authority. People weren't looking up to them anymore as they used to. This is what blinded them. Not that they didn't know the truth. Not that they didn't believe what Jesus was saying or his disciples. And to this day, it's the same. You bring something to the leaders if you're, uh, you're not in that position of leadership. Because of envy, they're not going to acknowledge what you say. Because the first thing they say, who do you think you are? Nothing has changed. That's the way they generally act. Because they seek their own, not the things of God. Because they do not fear and tremble before the word of God. And they're not going to admit error. Too proud. That's been always the case with the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so, that's what they did with the disciples. They could not confront what they were teaching. No more than they could confront, you know, the the teachings of Jesus Christ before that, because they knew it was true. And so they do what they can do. Use power and authority and abuse it. And that's what they did. They put them in prison. And they again are members of the wife of God. But then, what's new under the sun? It was Israel that generally killed the prophets. And it was Israel, the wife, that killed her own husband. And in spite of all that, still God never gave up on them. And so God continued to do an awful lot of mighty signs and wonders among them. And in the process... Many thousands of the priests and many of the leaders also finally caved in, gave up their pride and humbled themselves before God and became members of the body of Christ. Became spiritual Israelites, receiving the Holy Spirit. And so we read the story as we proceed. There were many, many thousands of them, of the priests, of the Sadducees, of the Pharisees that became followers of Christ. And then we read in uh, verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, that is, after they took them out of prison, brought them before the council, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? As if they didn't know. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, the wife of God, the people of God, the church of God, 
If we by this day are judged by a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has, he has been made well, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you all. And this is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And the builders were the members of the wife of Israel. They were not of another nation. In verse 12, Nor is there salvation, he tells them, in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Israel ultimately will be saved. And that's what he's telling them. You're going to have to come around. Come back to your, fa- to your father. Come back to your God. Come back to your husband. Come back to the faith. And he's not saying it to speak against them, but he's still trying to help them come around and acknowledge the truth because they are the people of God and their commission is to them and to the rest of Israel. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. That's the same attitude that we find today. That's the same attitude we found in the past 2,000 years. This is what gave rise to this contemptible terminology. We are the clergy. We're the top. We're the ministers. We're the spiritual leaders. And you're just a laity. You know, something you lay under and we walk all over you. That's a terminology that was invented by a, a bishop in the Catholic Church several centuries ago to distinguish between the caste, so to speak, the elite of the clergy and all the ignoramuses out there. And that's the way they regarded it. They didn't regard it as Christ did. He came and took them into, into his bosom and loved them and gave his life for them and atoned for them. And he's raising them up to his level so they can sit on his throne, as he said, on, on the father of his throne. That's not the attitude of the spiritual leaders. And you see it here. And to this very day you see it. A very few are really humble and meek and do their best to raise the brethren to their level, and if possible, even above in spiritual growth. But that's the nature of the beast, so to speak. And that's what I said. And that's the first thing to think about. They're ignorant, uneducated. Their education was in the highest form of learning, the truth of God. So how can they be uneducated? Well, uneducated in the ways of the world. And the ways of the world uh, could be even religion. You know, some people say today, well, you didn't go to, uh, to Ambassador College, or they used to say in the past. You're not really educated. Education has nothing to do with a college. It has to do with the fear of God. And a person who fears God and obeys God and serves God and walks in the ways of God and humbles himself before God is a very highly educated person and oftentimes far higher in his education than the leaders or ignoramuses in so many ways 
because of their rebellion against God and their pride and their haughtiness and their arrogance. God doesn't call that education. It can be education, but in the wrong spirit. And this is what we see here, and this is what we saw in our own lifetime. This is what we saw every single generation. And that's unfortunately what separates people from God and leads them astray. And cause people to truly become ignorant because of that. When the leaders reject God, they become ignorant and walk in darkness and blindness and cause others. And so God, in spite of all these things, in spite of even what the leaders have done, He still has mercy on all of them and never rejects them. He still is sending His servants to them, His prophets to them, His disciples to them, both to the leaders and the people, because they are His people. That's a wife. You see, you have to look at every thing that you read from that point of view, the totality of the picture. People go astray when they don't. And they begin to develop wrong attitudes themselves about the leaders of the people of Israel. And that's not right either. And so we read in, uh, in verse now 23. Continue the story. It says, And being let go, that is, after the, the leaders let the disciples go, it says, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, speaking to the Elohim, the Father of Jesus Christ, to see where the center of worship was. It was a God-centered religion. And it was not a Jesus religion as people made it later on. Christ didn't come to, to say, I am the center of all things, and I want you to have a Jesus religion and call yourself by my name. He says, you pray to the Father, our Heavenly Father. He's the center of all things. And that's why the people of God are, are called the Church of God, that is modern terminology, or Adat El, the body of witnesses of God, of the Father, and of His Son. And so we read in verse 24, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, to Elohim, with one accord, and said, Eternal, you are Elohim, who made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. That is, you made them by Jesus Christ, obviously, as we read in many places. Verse 25, Who by the mouth of your servant David hath said, why did the nations rage? Quoting from Psalm 2. And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the eternal and against his anointed. Of course, they don't see it that way. They don't understand it that way. They don't perceive it in that way, but that's exactly what it is. And it's speaking not only about the people of Israel, but the entirety of mankind who are against the God of gods, El Elyon, and against his anointed. Verse 27, For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, his own wife, were gathered together. And of course, that was a part of the plan. Had they not killed Jesus Christ, they would have no Savior. The world wouldn't have any savior, so it was a part of the plan, and you had to look at it, on it from that point of view, in its entirety, not bits and pieces. 
And so he says, all these people gathered against your anointed. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. You see, it was all from God. For the children of Israel, the wife of God, to crucify her, his, her own husband. But why? God was the one behind it, so they can have a savior to atone for their sins. He would not have been a savior if he just went on his own and killed himself, or had somebody just kill him, so it can become a, an atonement for them. It wouldn't work that way. They had to have a part in it, a part in serving him and worshiping him, a part in killing him, and a part in becoming the wife and bearing children. That's the way God chose to do the whole plan. He could have chose any other way, but he hasn't. That's the way he did it. So we have to understand it from that point of view. And not to think that as the disciples themselves, in ignorance for a while, thought, well, Christ was with us, but now he's dead. It's a failure. It's all gone. You see, that's humanly thinking that way, and that's not right. That was not the end of the plan. There was no failure. And people think the same thing about Israel. Well, that's it. Christ came, spoke to his people, they rejected him. They have failed. At the end of the story, they're gone. It doesn't work that way. You've got to read the whole story. Otherwise, you're an, an unlearned person. And as such, you speak a lot of ignorant things, and you believe them, and you have convictions based on lies and deceptions. And the wise, God says, shall understand, because they consider the whole matter, and before they consider the whole matter, they don't speak. And that's what the, the proverb of Solomon tells us. He that does not consider the whole matter is a fool. And the people of God should not be fools, but wise. And that's what the whole story is. And so let's understand it from that point of view. The message is still the same consistently. God never rejected his people. He has a plan for them. He allowed all those things to come. He is behind it. He is orchestrating it. There is no failure there. God hasn't rejected his people. His people hasn't failed. The story is not over yet. That's not the bottom line. The will of God will be done. And the work that God begins, he will finish. And no power in heaven or on earth is going to alter that or change that. And some of us have forgotten that and do not have the faith to believe it and to understand it and to comprehend it. And so we just believe all the lies that we've been taught all of our lives and tear up the same thing without even thinking. And then we think that we can serve God with lies. God demands that we worship him in truth and in spirit, not mixture of truth and error. That's why he tells us, come out of Babylon. I'm not going to accept your worship and your devotion when you're still in Babylon. And come and serve me and worship me with, with a mixture of truth and error. And so God has mercy on all of us too. And that's why he never gives up on us. Unless we totally reject him. And then he has to spear us out of his mouth. And so he'll give us many warnings. And he'll illuminate us and open our eyes. And he'll give us every possible opportunity to come back around and serve him in truth and in spirit. And so that's exactly what he was doing here. Still giving his people the opportunity, even though Christ came and he spoke to them and he spoke to the wife. He performed signs and wonders and miracles that no man has ever done. And yet they rejected that. That is the leaders, not the people. The people still followed. 
And here again he continues. He never gives up on them. He sends now all the disciples to continue doing the same work, making it very plain. He had never given up on them. And so many of them responded, and there were many, many, many thousands, who knows how many uh, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands among the people of Israel that followed the teachings of God and of his anointed and of his servants as time went by and to this very day and the past 2,000 years. Many of the children of Israel, we don't know how many they are, that have responded and became people of God. And even though the majority of them did not even know that they are Israelites, and we don't really know whether they did know or not. In some cases, maybe they didn't know. In other cases, they did. But the story is the same. These other people of Israel, the children of Israel, God never gave up on them. And that's the way we should understand as we read the Bible, the entirety of it. And with open eyes, we should read it, not blind or halfway open. And so, we continue in verse 31. And when they, pray, and they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God of Elohim with boldness. Notice, they didn't say the word of Jesus Christ spoke the word of God. That's why the church of God, the church of Elohim, Adat El, with boldness. Verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And obviously, all of them believed at that point that Christ was coming in their day. So you can imagine also why they thought that way. You know, if Christ is coming in their day, who cares about possessions? And then we continue to chapter 7, where we read the story of Stephen, who is in essence recounting the history of the church of God, of the people of God, of the wife of God, to, again, the leaders of Israel. God never gives up on any one of them. He constantly, as he always did in the past, constantly sending them prophets. Even though they killed many of them, he constantly sent them the prophets. He was not ever, uh, you know, willing to give up on them. And he's not going to give up on them. Because they have a purpose. And he's going to ultimately bring them. And if need be, through a tribulation, the trouble of Jacob. But he will never give up on his people, on his wife, on his church, on his people. It's the people who are ignorant, who didn't know the plan of God, who weren't reading the whole thing that they gave up on the people of God. And it's amazing and dumbfounding that people of God today who have the Holy Spirit, who know the Bible, it's not that they are ignorant, would still believe those lies that God gave up on his people, that Israel failed. And many, you know, parrot that lie that has been taught for 2,000 years. Well, they were the people of God, but when Christ died, that was it. That's the end of the story. They're gone. They're gone. They failed. Now we are it. We are the church. I didn't come from God. That's, that doesn't speak about love in the heart of the people who say those things. They don't realize the love of God, what it means. And that's selfish to think that way. But God never gave up on his people. And so we must understand the mind of God if we are to be children of God and people of God in truth and in spirit and so worship him. And that's exactly what God is doing now through Stephen. Still pleading with his wife, pleading with his people, trying to bring them back, the leaders and the people. And so he's recounting all the things that he had done for them through Stephen. 
And unfortunately, these people, nevertheless, did not listen. And one of them was Saul. And the, the ultimate was that they destroyed him. Destroyed another prophet of Israel. And the wife again is at it. And in essence, when you kill Stephen, it's like, you know, you, you've killed Christ all over again. Because that's what they are against. And obviously, the spirit of Satan is there, the veil is still there, and God is not opening their eyes to totally, full, you know, comprehend and understand. But some of them, some of them respond. And that's, in essence, all God is doing. He's just calling some. But he's giving the witness to all. So when the time comes, when he comes back, when he brings them out of the grave, and they remember all that he had done for them, then they will know that he is eternal. That's the purpose of it. Some people will say, well, you know, if he's not going to open their eyes, remove the veil of the point, why even preach to them? Why go through all that? Well, read the whole story, then you'll understand why. Because God gives his people a witness. Even though he knows they're not going to respond. Just like he married Israel, even though he knew Israel is not going to respond to the commission that he gave her. And some people will say, well, why did he marry her? Why not just forget all about it? Why not, you know, start the right way? Give them the Holy Spirit so they can all respond. Well, that was not a part of the plan of God. And what he does, he knows what he's doing. We don't. And so that's what God is now telling them through Stephen. And in uh, specific in verses 39 to 43, let's read that. He says about Moses, about that time when they came to Mount Sinai, and what they went through, the oracles that they received in verse 39 from God himself, the one that was just killed. In verse 39 it says, Whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Verse 4 is saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And the made a cow. In those days, offered sacrifices to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me, speaking from Amos, the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 25-27, God says to them, when he speaks to them, that's their immediate God, the God of Israel, the husband. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during forty years in the wilderness or house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Ramphan, images which you made to worship, you know, gods that you brought out of Egypt. And that's what they were doing while in the wilderness, you know. Get the impression that when they were in the wilderness, they were coming to the tabernacle and offering all the sacrifices to God. God said, no, this is not what was happening Israel still continued there and God allowed them to continue in that blindness. And yet he never gave up on them. It's true that he allowed all of them to die in the wilderness. He didn't bring them back to the land. But nevertheless, he still didn't give up on them because he was going to resurrect them and bring them back to him. And yet he allowed them and he gave them a witness. And so it is here in the days of uh, Stephen. It's the same story. It goes on. And so he told them, you know, you were, were worshipping all those idols of yours. Uh, verse 43, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So even at the time, he was already planning to send them into captivity. And yet, he never gave up on them in spite of that. And he brought them back out of captivity from Babylon, some of them. 
to fulfill the, the purpose that he had in mind for them, and through them to raise a Savior and to have that Savior killed by them, to provide them an atonement, and so that ultimately all may come back to their maker, to their creator, to their husband, and fulfill the purpose for which he called them. So there has never been any failure there, a temporary one. Yes, you might say, but you don't call that a failure when it's just a temporary one. Only when you reach the bottom line at the end of the road, if nothing happened, then you can say it's a failure, and that certainly hasn't happened, and will never happen. So you can never use that terminology, Israel failed, then never failed. Because God is not through with them yet. The story is not over. And yet that life began to be taught 2,000 years ago by the counterfeit church. That's what Paul was saying. The mystery of iniquity is already at hand. Already doing their work. Deceiving the people of God. And that's why we believe to this very day those lies. That God rejected Israel. That he's got another entity called the church. And we are members of that church. The true church, you know. We understand there is a false one. And we think we are the true one. And now let's go to chapter 10 where the story continues the wife of God, the people of God. And we know the story in chapter 10 where Peter was dealing with Cornelius, the Gentile, that God sent him to him. And that was the conversion, the beginning of the conversion, so to speak, of, uh, of the Gentiles through Peter. In other words, along with Israel, God was also calling few individuals from here and there. Sometimes there were more, sometimes less, sometimes a few hundreds, and sometimes just one or two here and there. But in either case, small minority. It wasn't, it was not about to make the church a Gentile church. You see, this is one of the major lies that was being taught 2,000 years ago. That God forsook his people and now we have a Gentile church. There's no such a thing. There are no Gentiles in the church. Maybe former Gentiles, yes. In other words, former people of the nations. But once you join the commonwealth of Israel, you are an Israelite. You are no longer a Gentile. And that's exactly what he's doing here. And so we read the story about Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius by God. And he does it through his people, Israel. He does it, in essence, through the wife, the bride. It's not wife yet, but bride. Members of the bride, Peter in particular here, and those who were with him, six brethren. And so we're in chapter 9, uh, ah, that is in chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the house to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, and while they made ready, he fell into a trance. In other words, he was experiencing a vision that came from God. And so heaven opened an object, an object like a great sheet, bound at the four corners, descending to him and led down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the earth. And voice came to him, Rise, Peter, and kill and eat. And this is where another false doctrine came up. Among the false church, Gentile church, aha! God now says you can eat anything you want. That's not what he's saying here. You see, only the unlearned comes up with a doctrine like that because they don't read the whole story. And there are those in our midst today who used to be learned and now have become unlearned. They went back to their own vomit. And now they call themselves a Gentile church. And they are. 
Because once you have forsaken God, you are no longer his people. You are no longer Israel. You go back to where you came from. You are Gentiles. Even though you might be Israelites, you become like the nations. And some of them are not. And so he says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No so. Not so, Lord. You see? When the law of God is very plain, and you hear something that you think is wrong even from God himself, well, Peter makes it very plain. He's not going to, about to, to transgress the law of God. Even though God tells him you go and eat. Of course, Peter doesn't understand what is really happening here at this point. And so that's what he says. That's his reaction. Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. In other words, that's contrary to your law. You can't do it. You can't ask me to do that, God. That's wrong. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this happened three times. And if people want to stop here for their own convenience, they say, aha, from now on I can eat swine. I can eat lobster. I can eat this and I can eat that. And people actually do that today. People used to know better. And the entirety of the house of Israel believe that lie. And so they all eat unclean food. And even among the Jews, an awful lot of them eat unclean food. Of course, they know better. They don't say that God said it's okay, so at least they know better. They just say, well, I don't care about that. You know, and that at least they're honest. And they're not deceived. And their guilt in that sense is even greater because they're not deceived. But of the children of Israel, the house of Israel that went into uh, darkness and joined the, uh, the counterfeit church and became a part of it and still are to this very day, and some of those that got called out of them are going back to it, they do that. They eat the unclean because they say, well, you know, here it is, justification. Well, you can come up with any religion out of the Bible if you want to. If your intent is to do evil and to disobey the law of God, you can justify it anything, any way you want. And yet that's not the truth. Anyway, we're going to stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.